Psalm 38. Psalm 38. This is a, uh, another psalm of David, and um, he writes this uh, to be a remembrance, um, as it says there, of some time in his life when he is hurting, and he is going through some severe pain, and you can't read it without just hearing and maybe even feeling some of the pain he's going through. And uh, one of the first things I wrote in my notes was, there is misery in almost every verse. And that's when I thought about that old movie, Misery, some of y'all have seen. But there is misery in almost every verse in this. And so as we read it, uh, you listen for just the pain, the suffering, and just the misery that David is expressing here in this in this psalm. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head, as in heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome, loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me. They that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. But mine enemies are lively, and they are strong. They that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries. Because I follow the thing that good is. Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. Let's pray. Again, Father, we come before you tonight and we ask you to help us to understand your word. Uh, make it clear to us, challenge us and encourage us and um, teach us tonight. Uh, Father, we do thank you for the opportunity we have in the middle of our week, to pause and to just take a few moments to fellowship and to, and to study and to pray. 
Uh, I pray that you would give us all just clear minds and clear hearts uh, to hear your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, did you hear the misery? Did you hear the pain? He was pretty descriptive at times in there about his pain. And so, I want to give you three types of misery that stand out to me in this text. And I think you'll see these pretty clearly. But the first kind of pain is physical pain. I believe he's going through some real physical pain. It's not just figurative, but he is actually hurting. He is hurting. And so, I want to give you a few of these descriptions to kind of show you. Verse 2, he says, The Lord's arrows are sticking in me. The Lord's arrows are, what does he say here, stick fast in me. And he gives this description of just pain. Now, I don't believe David is sitting there writing this with an actual arrow sticking in him, which I guess it could have happened. But I think he's feeling some kind of physical pain, a sharp pain of some kind. Some people have tried to diagnose, by the way, all these different ailments, but I don't know what he had, but I know it hurt, and it was not good. And so I'll leave that at that. But I was looking at some just cross-reference verses here, and listen to what Job said in Job 6.4. He said, For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. So Job had this same type of feeling where he was in pain and he felt like God had given him this, this pain. Also notice there in verse 2, he says, The Lord's hand presseth down upon me. Again, we talked about this, I believe it was last week, that the Lord, uh, feeling like you're being pressured or you're being backed into a corner or you're being squeezed. He says here, the Lord's hand was upon me. I found another psalm. Uh, flip with me to Psalm 32, verse 4. Listen to the similarities here in Psalm 32, 4. It says, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. So this is something we see in the psalms, this picture of, being pressed down by the hand of the Lord. In verse 3, another description of his physical pain, he talks about uh, no soundness in his flesh, and he says, there's no rest in my, my bones. Again, he is just hurting. I found another psalm. Look at uh, thirty-one, Psalm 31, verse 10. Again, listen to the similarities here. Psalm 31, 10, For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing, my strength faileth because of my iniquity, and my bones are consumed. So he felt like he's having these sharp pains. God's arrows are in him. He feels like God's hand's pressing him down. His bones are hurting, he says in verse 3. Uh, I'll just give you these next ones quickly. Verse 4, he talks about heavy burdens. Verse 5, he talks about his wounds. And if you look at verse 5, that's pretty descriptive there and disgusting. Uh, his wounds. Verse 7, he talks about his loins filled with a loathsome disease. Uh, have any of us ever said that before? Go to the doctor. <laughs> What's going on, doc? My loins. They're filled with a loathsome disease. <laughs> Nobody says that. But a lot of people believe that means his side was in pain. Some people say that means his insides were in pain. Again, I'm not trying to diagnose this except to say he's hurting. Verse 8, he says he is crushed. He is feeble and sore broken. That means he's, he's crushed. Verse 10, uh, he says my strength faileth me. He has no strength. Have you ever been sick in such a way that you just had no strength? You could, couldn't do anything? Um, he feels that way. Verse 17, if you skip down there, you'll see him say this. He says, I'm ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. His pain is there to, I feel like every time he rolls over, every time he moves, he's reminded of that pain he has, of whatever kind of pain it is. 
Have you ever had a time in your life where you hurt all over? Maybe the flu, some other sickness, you're just hurting all over. I think that's what David's going through. Physically, he is hurting all over. He is in pain. And that's not a small thing. David, is David some weak man that would complain about a, you know, sore toe or a headache? I don't think so. He was a great warrior and king, right? I don't think he would complain about just something small. This is real pain he's going through. And he, he admits it to God. This is what I'm dealing with. The second type of misery, and I think this one is why he's experiencing the physical, is spiritual. He's going through the, the spiritual struggle. And as I read it, I think you probably caught on to that. But look at verse 1, 2, and 3 again. He asked the Lord not to rebuke him in his, what? Wrath. He talks about the wrath of God in verse 1. The hot displeasure, the indignation, or the, the holy anger of of God. Verse 3 is what he talks about when he says, um, because of thine anger. David was a man after God's own heart, but he also was a man who experienced God's wrath in his life. And I don't mean he experienced the eternal wrath of God where God destroys or casts him away forever, but he experienced God's discipline, didn't he? God's righteous discipline. And isn't that a biblical truth that God disciplines his people? I'm going to read that verse in, in a few minutes, but but David was no stranger to wrath, and he knew the difference. I believe David knew the difference between a generic pain he was going through and when God was trying to get his attention. Like, do we know the difference between that? I hope we do, and I think that's probably a sign of Christian maturity, the difference between maybe just some random pain and, like, God really trying to show us something or teach us something or grow us through a situation. Um, do you recognize in your life when God is, again, disciplining you? Um, I think... I thought about this, you know, my kids know when I'm upset. Do your kids know, or if you remember that, you that raise kids, they know when you're upset. Jessie likes to call them by the first and middle name. You ever do that? She'll say, Aiden Christian, when she's ready to get mad at Aiden. I don't ever do that. I just stare at them. That's what I do. Like, Pam, I just go, it's just, I'm so disappointed, I'm so frustrated, I'm so mad. I'll just stare, and they know. If I just stare, if I'm quiet and I'm staring, they're like, he's mad. You know, what's going to happen next? I don't know. Who knows? But, they know when their parents are mad, usually, or upset. Do you recognize in your life when God is disciplining you? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, verse 4, he talks about his iniquity. My iniquities are gone over my head. Again, it kind of reminds me of a parent. You ever said, I've had it up to here? I've had it up to here. Uh, Michelle, as a teacher, I've had it up to here with some of these students. Well, what he says here is, my sin has gone not only here, but what does verse 4 say? They they reach even higher. They've gone over my head, um, even to the, to the heavens, uh, some might say. Um, I found that in another picture of that in Psalm chapter 40. Flip over there and find verse 12. He says in the middle of Psalm 40 and verse 12, my iniquities have taken hold of me so that I'm not able to look up. It's this picture of not only just a physical pain, but he is going through some, some stuff. He's going through some spiritual burdens and his iniquity and his sin. Verse 6 and 8. Look at verse 6. I am troubled. And he says, I am bowed down greatly. Now, I think we know that biblically speaking, you can bow to worship. But that's not what this bowing is. This is a sign of sadness and mourning. Like he's sad and, and well, use the word depressed, but he's, he's just afflicted. And so he bows himself down. Again, I found another psalm that goes with this. Look at uh, Psalm 42. 
Look at verse 5 and 6. He says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of the Jordan. And he mentions those other places there. The, The point of this is he is hurting in such a way, physically and spiritually, that he is just laid down. He's just laying there. We know, we know what that's like physically, don't we? Like, you ever, you ever said this before? I don't feel good. I'm just going to go lay down a few minutes. You ever done that? Or you might say this to your spouse or someone else. Just go lay down. You'll be all right. Just go lay down for a while. But this is not just a physical laying down. This is him, as he says there, I'm troubled, I'm bowed down, and I am in mourning over my situation and my sin so that I am laid down. Have you ever had a time in your life where you laid down over your spiritual sin, where you bowed down over your sin and just felt that bad about it. I can think of a couple of situations in my life where, in one particular, many, many years ago, when I was in, you know, had some sin I was dealing with, and I just laid down for like a week in prayer and repentance and things like that. And it's probably the only time in my life, that one time I can remember feeling somewhat similar to what David feels, um, of just not, you know, not being able to even move because you're just repenting of what you've done wrong. And um, I hope, you know, hope you don't experience that much, but I think as Christians, there are times when our sin should mean that much to us that it affects our lives. Verse 8, he says, I'm feeble, sore, broken. And he says, I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. That doesn't mean he roared like a lion. <laughs> that means he groaned. He groaned out and I think a real deep hurt can cause us to, to groan. Um, not to use myself as an illustration again, but last Wednesday night after church, I don't even know why. I don't even remember exactly what the message was about. It's Psalm 37. But on the way home, I was praying about something, and it wasn't exactly like this. It wasn't about me. It was something else. But um, I kind of ran out of words to say, and in my prayer, I felt like I was just kind of groaning, just like, Lord, you know, you know what, I, what I'm praying about. But I, I ran out of words to say but I was still trying to pray, and I think the Holy Spirit was helping me there. But do you ever have this time in your life where you just, you're hurt so deeply, maybe it's, maybe it's self-inflicted, like here with sin, where you, you don't even have the words to say. You want to pray, but you don't have the words to say. Look at verse 18. Skip down there. Again, this is a spiritual issue he's dealing with. Not just physical, it's spiritual. He says, I will declare my iniquity. I'll be sorry for my sin. So he had a he had a clear spiritual issue in his life. We don't know what exactly sin this is because he had many like we do, but it was, it was an issue. So he had a physical pain, spiritual pain. The third thing is he had a relational pain. I see this in verses 11 through 16 and in verses 19 and 20. Um, you know, I was reading this thinking to myself, man, this guy is struggling right now. I mean, he's hurting physically. He's spiritually struggling. At least his friends are there to care for him. Is that what the scripture said? What did it say? Did you catch with verse 11? My lovers and my friends stand afar off from me. So, no, they're not there to care for him. The ones he's closest to, the ones you think that would be there to help him in this time, are not there. 
Maybe it's because of the sickness he has. Maybe it's because his sin has brought shame on him, and so they've kind of withdrawn themselves. Don't know for sure, but they have separated themselves. Have you ever had someone close to you abandon you in a time of need? I hope not, but maybe that's happened to some of us before. Um, Have you ever been that person who maybe wasn't there for someone you knew in their time of need? I think that's an application we can make here that if I know someone struggling physically, struggling spiritually, I'm going to do all I can to be there for that person, and we should as as Christians. Um, But notice here um, some other scriptures about this. I'll just read this one to you. This is Psalm 88. It says, You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And then I went back to Job because I think Job is similar to the psalm. Listen to what Job said in chapter 19. He said, God has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. My breath is strange to my wife, and I'm a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. (laughs) This guy's struggling. When I, walk, when I rise, they talk against me. He's just walking down the street, and kids are like, that guy. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I have loved have turned against me. Job had this similar experience as the psalmist. And again, this is related, I think, to some physical sickness as well as some spiritual things. But I thought about this one as well. In the Garden of Gethsemane, would you say the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is there, He's been betrayed by Judas, and he's about to be arrested. Would you say up until that point, that was probably the most difficult moment of his life? Again, he's Jesus, so, you know, he, don't need, he doesn't need anything. He never needed any help, right? He's Jesus. But my point is, from an earthly point of view, you would think in that moment, earthly speaking, his friends would be there. But do you remember what Matthew 26 says, the very last verse? It says all his disciples fled and left him in what you could say is a time of earthly need, and yet they left him. So here's what I thought about. If you are struggling and you feel abandoned by your friends or those closest to you, you're in pretty good company. It happened to Job. It happened to David. It happened to Jesus. So just remember that if you feel abandoned. I know know some people that always feel like that. Nobody's there for me. Well, um, you're in good company. So let's go to the next part. So his, his friends, his loved ones are not there for him, but at least his enemies are giving him a break here. His enemies are like, you know what? He's struggling. Let's just lay off of him. Let him kind of get his wits about him. Did his enemies give him a break? Did you, did you read what it said in verse 12? They that seek after my life lay snares for me. They that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. <laughs> No, his enemies did not give him a break. Every day they're like scheming. How can we get him again? How can we hurt him? How can we bring him down? I mean, this guy is dealing with some stuff, not only physically, not only spiritually, but relationally. His friends have abandoned him, and his enemies are trying to get him. Look at verse 13. I think this is interesting here, and I'm going to make some application on on this, but he says, As a deaf man I heard not, as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth, thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. And I think there's a couple different ways you might can look at those verses, but 
one thing I want to say here is that David, in his affliction, it seems like he felt so powerless in this time that he just stopped talking. He stopped trying to defend himself, stopped trying to say things. He just, he kind of sat back, I think, and thought to himself, you know, God's going to have to handle this because I can't handle it. And I thought that's a pretty good application for us. And, and I may have said this a while back to you guys, but when you're frustrated, that's probably a good time not to talk that much. Or if you're mad or hungry or tired. For me, in those situations, when I'm frustrated, I need to talk less because I'm more likely to say something I don't mean or don't need to say, right? But David here shows us a picture of that. He's like, I'm not even going to speak. And I hope, I think with David, that's some quiet confidence in the Lord that the Lord will take care of that situation. Well, what's the reason? As you look at this psalm, what's the main reason he's dealing with physical, spiritual, and relational pain? Is it simply sickness? Is it simply bad people? Or is it a three-letter word that starts with S, sin, right? Sin is the reason for his misery. We don't know exactly what sin, but he's engaged in sin, and because of that sin, the Lord is disciplining him. Here's the verse I mentioned earlier, Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. You heard that before? We've all heard it before. And he chastises every son whom he receives. There's a really old preacher from... I, I guess he was in England probably, Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you ever read or can hear him preach or read about him, uh, he's a great person to listen to or read after. Lloyd-Jones said, if you are an unchastened Christian, then you must be an unloved Christian. I thought, well, which means you're not one. <laughs> because God chastens them, those whom he, he loves. As a good earthly father corrects his children, so our heavenly father corrects his children. Now, this doesn't mean, we've talked about this before, I remember specifically talking about this, it doesn't mean that every time you get sick, you're like, man, what sin did I do to make, this, make me sick? That's not what this means. But at the same time, it, it could be that God brings about these things in our lives because of sin. It could be. It's, I think that's a biblical thing to say. Um, and so, why does God do it? Why does God judge our, our sin like this? Well, is it possible that God gives us these sorrows that we might turn in repentance to him? I think it's not only possible, I think that's what he does. I think God works things out in our lives in such a way as, as 2 Corinthians 7 says, he gives us godly grief that produces repentance. God, and this is important, God, it's not his main priority to make us hurt or to make us miserable. But sometimes he will allow us to hurt or be miserable, especially over sin, that we might see that sin is ultimately bad for us and that he is ultimately good for us. And so I, as I read that and, and look at this, like, is that something missing in present-day Christianity? Genuine sorrow over sin? We know it's missing in the world. The world accepts sin now. The world celebrates sin, Right? It's crazy out there. But in, I'm talking about for Christians, for us. Do we have sincere sorrow? As verse 18 says, do we look at God and say, God, um, I declare my iniquity to you. I, I'm sorry for my sin. Or do we just kind of act like the world and just kind of let, let our sin just hang around? I wonder if we've lost our way and 
if we need to ask God to help us get back to a genuine sorrow over our sin. And I mean that for me and for, and for you. Um, again, when's the last time you've been in such a... When's the last time you cared so much about your sin that you were unable to stop until you... Unable to go until you prayed about it? I remember, I remember, day, I remember days like this where we would have church service on Sunday morning and some people couldn't even leave the building because they had to stay and just pray over their sin. I've seen church services like that, but you don't usually see that anymore. Or even Wednesday night. And again, that could just be a personal thing, but are there times in, our, in my life, in your life, where you're not really taking your sin as serious as God takes it? I think that's probably possible for many Christians now. And a commentator, Adam Clark, said, whoever carefully reads this psalm, we'll see what a grievous and bitter thing it is to sin against the Lord. I think a sign of a maturing Christian is that we have genuine, heartfelt repentance over our sins, whatever the sin might be, right? That we have genuine, regular repentance of it. So that leads me to my last thing here, response to misery. So how did he respond to it? Because I told you this, I told you that almost every verse in Chapter 38 is misery, but not all of them are. And I'm going to give you these four letters. You can write this down. You can remember it. R-C-R-P. R-C-R-P. What do I do when I'm in misery over my sin? R-C-R-P. Recognize, confess, repent, pray. Recognize, confess, repent, and pray. David had found himself at a standstill in his life because of all the stuff happening to him self-inflicted by the way because of his sin but his answer was not to do all these other things his answer was recognize confess repent and pray David here there are a few verses scattered in this psalm where he looks away from his hurt and he looks to God and that's the answer that's the solution that's the application we want to make sure we we notice we see it, as I mentioned earlier, in verse 18, where he talks about confessing his sin. We see it in verses 15, where he says, Lord, in, in thee I hope, in thee I will wait. And of course, we see it uh, there in those final verses. When he says in verse 21, Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. He asked God's presence to stay with him. Isn't that important? He wanted God's presence. And in verse 22, he says, Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. I've been telling you all a few times, salvation in the Psalms means what? Deliverance. O Lord, my deliverer. And I want to say, if you combine these two verses, I want to say David would say, I want your deliverance, Lord, but I sure do need your presence. And I think that's true for us, that we need God's presence even more than his deliverance, but he prays for both. He prays with his heart of mourning. It reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 4, where Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, for they shall be, they shall be comforted. When we leave here tonight, I guess most everybody's probably going home, I'm guessing. But you don't, you don't tell me where you're going. But I'm guessing eventually you'll end up at home. And you'll get home at some point, and you'll take off your shoes, and you'll probably change into something more comfortable. 
you'll get in a comfortable chair, couch, bed, you'll turn on the TV or your computer or whatever you do to, to wind down, and you'll just be relaxed, right? You'll be much more relaxed than you are right now, I'm sure. Um, and that's how, that's how home is. Home is where, typically is where our stuff is, it's where our family is, it's where we go at the end of a long day to just kind of wind down, eat some good food, hopefully, and sleep. Home is where we go, right? When we leave here, most of us will be going, we'll be going home. How about after a long trip? If you're taking a vacation, a trip, and you come back and you're so happy to be home, to be back in your bed with your stuff, we've all, I think, experienced that. Our home is our refuge. Our home is where we go. Henry Law said, prayer is the believer's constant refuge. I love that quote. Prayer is the believer's constant refuge. David in the Psalms is such an amazing example of a man who recognized his sin, confessed it, repented, and prayed to God because he knew God was his refuge. He knew prayer was his refuge. So, is prayer your refuge? Is prayer your home? Is prayer where you go at the end of a tough day or in the midst of a tough day? How long has it been since you've spent serious, dedicated time in prayer? Recognizing your sin, repenting of it, confessing it, and forsaking it, and thanking God for his mercy. May prayer be our constant refuge. I want you to think about that when you go home tonight. Think about, yeah, home, I'm going here, I'm going to relax, I'm going to be in for the night. It's prayer, that refuge, it's prayer, that home for you. So as I conclude Psalm 38, I was waiting for verse 23. Do you all see verse 23? I don't see it. It's not in my Bible. Is it in anybody else's Bible? So like we really don't have the answer here of what happened. So, but here's what I do think. There's no change in his circumstances here, but I do think there's a faith that continues here. His faith is still strong, or the way I read it. So his circumstances may have not changed, but his faith remains strong, and that's a good application for us. Even if God doesn't change my circumstances, I need to keep praying, keep being faithful to him. Let me make one gospel application. Um, Someone said, David in Psalm 38 speaks like a man, like a leper outside the camp. Remember those Old Testament things about lepers? They have to go live somewhere else. They can't come into town with everybody else. They're kicked out. I just picture them out there like staring at everybody like, let us in. No, stay away, you're a leper. He said, this, this writer said, David is like a leper outside the camp. And such is the figure of a convicted sinner or a saint under discipline. He is separated as one who is defiled. But Jesus can meet us in that place, even if no one else can. As a poor woman convicted of her sins once said, I am too bad for any but Jesus. I want to give you the application because... Whoever might be listening to me tonight, um, you might be dealing with sin, and the answer we must know, right, is Jesus is the one we go to for forgiveness of our sin. He's the only one who can give us that. He's already secured that on the cross. He already died for our sins, for the sins of those who believe. 
but we still need to go to him and repent on a regular basis so that our fellowship is not broken with him. Let's pray.